I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark, and please subscribe for free to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast and rate and review it. And let's bring in three-time NBA champion Danny Green. And usually, Danny, you are playing in the NBA Finals right now for the first time in three years. You are not. What's this feeling like seeing it on TV and, and not being a part of it? Um, it's a little strange. It's a strange year uh, all around. Uh, not just not seeing myself play, but certain guys you expect to be there, like, you know, Braun, Steph, um, the certain over the decades, uh, it's been a certain same, kind of the same teams that are in the finals this year. It's a, you know, newer teams, which uh, is different, interesting, weird, but at the same time, happy for a lot of those guys. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, who's going to come out on top and for, finally get their first ring. But um, it's uh, very weird and strange to, to, to say the least, uh, just by watching from the sideline without, a lot of guys that you're usually seeing there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Who you got in the finals? Um, when it started, before it started, I thought Milwaukee, but, you know, when Giannis got hurt, it changes some things. Now Sarge is hurt, but uh, I think Phoenix, it's going to be an interesting series. Um, I think Phoenix might pull it out in six or seven. I think it's going to go a six, seven game series, um, but it, it all depends on how teams adapt, adjust, momentum swings. Obviously, it's every playoff series, but um, it looks like Phoenix has momentum and they're playing, you know, very good basketball with a lot of good chemistry right now. So it's looking like Phoenix might be able to get this done in six or seven. I tell you, uh, when I watch these games and even the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you see the injuries with Giannis, you hate to see that. Trey Young got hurt. What are you feeling and thinking about as a Sixers team about the opportunity and the path that you could have possibly had in the finals? And was it an opportunity lost here? For sure. Every opportunity that you have where you have that type of – where the stars align for you to have that, that type of, uh, I guess, a pathway, like you said, to, to get a ring. 
you couldn't ask for a better situation or setup. Um, obviously, the, so this, is a, this is the year of which every year who with the healthiest team is going to make it. But this year, more than any, where we had so many injuries and it looks like the healthier teams are the ones that are in the finals and Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals. Um, I think if we were healthy, things might have been different. Uh, but every team, even the teams that made it there, weren't 100 percent healthy. Uh, so, yeah, we couldn't ask for a better situation for us to you know, play Washington first round. Atlanta second round, then, you know, Milwaukee or Brooklyn, which they weren't at full strength or full health and not playing their best basketball. And then coming out of West, you said Lakers were injured, Clippers were injured. Uh, you know, the top dogs were, were hurt. Utah, Denver, um, they they had gone out of the playoffs. So, you know, playing against a Phoenix team, even though they're very good, they ain't no easy route, no easy team in the finals, but you couldn't ask for a better scenario uh, to where we could have gotten a ring this year. And it's definitely an opportunity missed, not just because of the, the lineup or because of how things turned out, but just because it's, it's an opportunity. Every year you get a chance to win. And if you have a good team, um, regardless of the route, it's opportunity missed. And we don't know if we'll get everybody back. We don't know if we'll have the same team. We'll know if we'll have 100% health next year. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting come free agency and, and come draft night. Obviously, Joel was not 100%. And then you got injured. Uh, mm-hmm. And that really affected the team. Also, your leadership. Do you think if you were healthy for the series against the Hawks that you guys would go on to the Eastern Conference Finals? I definitely think it would have changed some things. Um, I have a lot of confidence in myself and my team and my group uh, when I'm on the floor that we have a really good chance of winning, especially the, the games that we did lose this past year with being up 18, being up 26. I think if I were to be out there and help a little bit, I think that we would have got one of those wins and that would have made a difference in the series. It's interesting. Doc Rivers after game six against the Hawks, he told Joel Embiid, I told you we were going to win. I told you we were going to win. And he said mm-hmm. he needed to kind of pump up the young guys, let them know that they can pull this off, believe in themselves, even though they had blown the lead in game five. Do you sense that maybe there was that veteran presence at times missing on the court? I mean, I saw you coaching up the guys during every timeout, but do you think that veteran presence on the court was missing? For sure. And I think it was one of those things, not saying that we didn't respect Atlanta, but I think we just, expected to just win and instead of actually you know skipping steps and think it was going to happen and I, and actually try to make it happen you know you know and you know said like doc said he knew we were going to win it was a, we thought we were the better team and i think a lot of other people out there could, could argue the same um but you know they played better they were healthier and we didn't you know take advantage of the opportunity and um we didn't take them serious enough and we kind of skipped some steps we just thought it was going to happen instead of making it happen and you know that comes with maturity so if I was out there, I think I would have helped some of that maturity, maybe. Um, there's no guarantee. We don't know. But I would like to think it would have made a, a little bit of a difference and that we could have been at least moving on to the next round. But, you know, who knows what it could have, should have. And it didn't happen. So the healthiest teams are the ones that are usually the last team standing. And because we weren't healthy, it's the reason why we were kind of knocked out early. And you go back to game five, up 25 or 26 points with, you know, 15 minutes or 16 minutes of game time left. Was the wind taken out of the sails to, to, to blow that game five, a pivotal game five at home? It's definitely devastating, man. It's hard to bounce back from something like that. And uh, I've been a part of some devastating losses uh, that you can tell being one of them where the, the air was taken out of us in the building and we felt defeated. Obviously, there was a game six loss in San Antonio. With, with San Antonio, we lost in Miami um, of the finals. Uh, nothing will ever top that for me. That one still haunts me to this day. But um, it, it, usually you there aren't many momentum shifts from game, you know, from game to game is a different, is a own series in itself. 
Um, usually one game affects the others that much, but I think a game like that can definitely carry over and affect the next game of a team's mental. And that hurt us. And it was hard to bounce back from that, but um, we did. Uh, we, we got a win. And then, you know, we did what we're supposed to do, get back home to get home court advantage and force a game seven. And I still think I said, you know, Joel's playing a lot of minutes. He was tired. Uh, starters were playing a lot of minutes. A lot of guys uh, were fatigued, not just, you know, physically, but mentally. And when a game like that happens, that, that takes a toll on you. Game seven was right there for the taking in the fourth quarter. You have become an NBA champion three times over. You know what it takes. You've seen teams and what it takes. Uh, what do you think was missing there in those final moments? Do the Sixers need a closer to take over in those moments? I think we have, I said, if we were healthy, we have all the pieces. Um, with Tobias and Joel, with their scoring capabilities, those, that's closing enough. But, you know, and Seth, the way he was playing, he was hooping, he was balling very much well, but they, they needed a little more help. We needed more scoring and a little more def defend you know, defending on the other end. We needed more defense. Uh, so I think the only thing that was missing really was some winning plays. You know, we usually have somebody on the floor um, and we couldn't get that. I'm not saying that we didn't have it every game. We missed it some games, but somebody's going to get a, a block shot, a rebound, a tip in, um, you know, a loose ball or, or something like that. That could change the whole momentum of the game. You know, a defensive stop, stop Blue Will or, or Gallo, who's running off, you know, 10 straight points. Uh, we get that type of statement or that type of winning play, the change of momentum, the shift, it'll allow us to get back into our rhythm and also stop stop their rhythm so that we can continue to, you know, get ahead and take advantage of the lead. We saw Tobias Harris have a career year. And mm -hmm. then in some of those moments in game seven, he missed some layups that he's normally going to make. Is that the pressure moments that maybe you learn from and, and you learn to be a champion from those moments? For sure. Um, every moment he's learned, all of us have learned. Um, I don't think for him is any pressure. Uh, he, he's been in those moments. He's made a lot of shots for us. I think there were some games where he was out of rhythm and didn't get, you know, his flow going. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't just because it was game seven, just because it was, you know, close in the fourth quarter. Um, it's pressure with every shot. But, you know, he's used to taking those, used to making those for us. And, of course, he, he learned from every series, every game. And he has, needs to be more aggressive. And But I think, once again, it's a domino effect. When you're missing one piece, it, it changes the flow of everybody's outcome, everybody's game. And, um, you know, his game and his chemistry and his rhythm was off a little bit because we didn't have everybody there. And we had to change rotations. We had to change of who we guard. We had to change up how we're attacking them offensively. And, you know, that's something that you have to kind of adapt and adjust to that he shouldn't have had to adapt and adjust to the playoffs. We should have everybody healthy. Um, and, you know, it sucks because most of the season we were used to kind of playing without Joel some. We were used to playing without Ben some. Um, I didn't miss many games this season. They were, had ne never been really used to me not being there having his back defensively and offensively, also spacing the floor, setting screens for him, or doing little things like that uh, to get him into the game. Um, so it was tough to watch. It was frustrating, man, on the sideline, being a teammate and seeing some of those guys uh, go through it, um, but also you know, seeing us feeling like we're the better team and not be able to get it done um, because I was out there to help. And Joel obviously gave it everything he had. In those mm -hmm. last couple games, he had a lot of turnovers, and especially in the fourth quarters, in those big moments, do you think, sometimes too much is put on him in those moments, uh, especially the condition with the knee and then maybe getting fatigued from the injury and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like a lot is put on both those guys, Tobias and Joel. And of course they were attacking Ben a lot too. So a lot is put on those guys. And that's why you have a team. You have other people to help. Seth did a great job of, of what he could do uh, offensively, defensively, stepped up a little bit, but they needed more help all around. Um, 
you know, and so usually that's the help I provide where, you know, Joel has more space if I'm out there or I get to talk to him, tell him, you know, repost, kick it out, I'll get it back to you. Or, you know, get, get these guys in foul trouble, get them out the game. Um, I think that was a big key that changed the momentum in the series where, you know, Joel wasn't getting as many foul calls or getting, you know, those guys in foul trouble as much as he was early on. Um, and that changes, you know, the whole momentum of, of Clint Capella's game or, you know, uh, John Collins, you know, those guys. Uh, he usually gets those guys three or four fouls where they're not even in the, at the game in the fourth quarter or they're tired, fatigued, or scared to foul out at that point in the game. So definitely a lot too much on his shoulders. Um, but that's what comes with you. are an MVP caliber player. And I know he's going to try to, you know, get better, get his body rate in shape. He knows we had a, a chance. And, you know, as, much, as long as he's here and they have Tobias here, they'll always be a contender. We don't know where figuring out what I'm going to do this summer. And they have been here as well. Those three guys are, are very good in the East and always going to be a contender. But he'll learn from it. He'll get better from it. And if, you know, they can bring everybody back, we'll we figure out how uh, how we can move forward, take the next, next step and mature and hopefully, you know, get over that hump. There's obviously a lot of talk about Ben Simmons and – do you think he will be here with the Sixers next year? I think so. Um, I don't see Doc or Daryl Morey as guys that give up on a, a guy like that who's very young and has a lot of potential um, you know, because of one series or because of one incident and, and, you know, just giving up on them. I see that they can – it's fun just Doc's first year. There's a lot of new coach staff first year, front office first year. Um, so there's a lot of newbies in this, and I think they feel that they can adapt and adjust and also change and, and grow and help them understand, you know, championship atmosphere. Uh, you know, Ben and Joel is the first time, actually, I wouldn't say first time, but they didn't really have many vets. They didn't have to learn from somebody like Doc or have that type of uh, culture around them. So uh, they're going to probably stick with him and give him an opportunity to grow and also, you know, change him into a championship type of point guard that everybody keeps asking about. I believe he he has the tools. I believe he has the, the mental. Um, I just think he needs the encouragement and he needs us around him to help get him there. What were you doing in those moments? Obviously, you're one of the veteran leaders, if not the veteran leader on the team. And, and, and you know, he's got a lot of talent, Ben Simmons does. And, and you saw him shy away from shots. Obviously, the free throws weren't going down. So maybe he lost confidence with that. Were you trying to pump him up and, and to tell him to keep being aggressive? For sure. I think we all were. We all were, you know, telling him we're behind him. You know, you'll just be you. Keep playing your game. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, don't think about it. Just, just, you know, keep putting pressure on the rim, keep getting attacking. Um, you know, we need you. They're scared of you. You know, that type of thing. We're encouraging them as much as possible, trying to make them feel comfortable and tell them, you know, we live with whatever free throw you make or miss. It doesn't matter. Uh, at the end of the day, you're getting them foul trouble and you're getting more shots at the basket. And we're going to make, you know, plays and you bring more to the table than just that. You know, defensively, you're going to be a monster for us. Offensively, you're going to create shots for us. So, um, you know, we're going to need that and continue to be you. So, on the sideline, I did as much as I can. We all did. We all tried to talk to him, encourage him, and, and make sure he didn't think too much about it. Um, but, you know, it's human nature of the game. It's human nature of life. You know, he's a young kid. He's growing and he's learning. And uh, he's still maturing in this league. And I think he's going to still be a special player when it comes mean, this. So this type of situation um, can, you know, change a player's career in two different ways, one or two different ways. And I think for him, with how he's going to attack it, I think this will help him a great deal in the future. Did you have some conversations with him after the game? What was he like after that game? Does he kind of sense that hopefully this is rock bottom and that he can rebuild himself offensively? Well, we didn't have many conversations. We didn't have to. I think everybody understands what we need. We have we keep within our locker room. We try to ignore, block out the noise, the media. Um, just keep it in-house and keep it family. Focus on what the task is at hand. Um, but I have checked up on him, see how he's doing, see how things is going. Um, but he understood that. He knew what he needed to do. It wasn't like we needed a bunch of people to keep lecturing him or talking to him about it, but 
I just made sure when we were on that floor that he came out positive and I tried my best to encourage him as much as possible. Doc Rivers has mentioned in several games, like in game three in Atlanta, he said, I need you to be aggressive, play downhill in the second half. And that's what Ben did. And he took over. Why do you think he does need to be kind of encouraged or pushed at some times to be aggressive offensively? Because naturally he's a passer. You know, you see some guys are just naturally facilitators and that's what he's good at doing. Um, but we need him to do both. We needed him to, to kind of have a happy medium. Um, that's part of growing up, part of maturing. Right now as a young player, he knows how to do one or the other. So I'm only on pass mode or score mode. It's like, well, you got to make reads and kind of do both. And I think he has the ability to do so and the, the IQ. So well, I'm interested to see how he grows as a player, um, as well as these other young guys around here. Um, had a great year with them, had a lot of fun. Um, we'll see if we can bring everybody back. If not, you know, they're a family for life. They're always my brothers, and I love them, and I'm rooting for them and cheering for them. But uh, I'm interested to see how all these guys grow. Philly is a different place. I'm from here, and Philly is rough. Uh, yeah. And I got a sense when he was at the free throw line in the series that the arena had his back for a while, and then you got this groan or an uncomfortable feeling. Do you think the crowd and Philly can have an effect on somebody like Ben Simmons in those moments? For sure, it has an effect on everybody. And I think that's something that needs to change in the city. You know, I love our fans, but, you know, you know when things aren't going well, they can turn on you. Um, that's the one thing that I, I would disagree with or, or dislike. But, you know, some guys use it as motivation. Some guys have a chip on their shoulder. But, you know, they, I think that needs to change somewhat. They need to be riding with us regardless of how things are going. You know, we're number one team in the East, still playing well. And in some games, they'll, they'll boo us. You know, but that's part of the, the culture here. Um, and that's a part of part of their way of showing they love us. But um, I said, with a guy like Ben and other guys, I, I think they need to stick behind him and stick by, by him as long as they can until he said until the horn blows. But even then, you know, he's here. He's, he's given so much to this organization, to the city um, on and off the court that, that he deserves that respect and that, that support. So um, I hope that that thing, that worm turns for him and for the city of Philly to where they don't have that mantra as fans of being cold, rough and, and one of the, you know, the worst in the league because we had a great time this year. We had a great outing. And when they came back and allowed fans back into the building, it was amazing energy that we needed and I loved. So um, I hope that changes for him and I hope that changes for the city. I think sometimes in Philly, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or it's kind of like, hey, if we're going to be known as the city that boos or is tough on its players, let's keep doing that. And I think sometimes we do get caught up in that. I will say 38 years since an NBA championship. And I think Going through the process, it's it's been tough, uh, all those losing years. So I think there's a lot of uneasiness. I understand it. A lot of frustration over the years. I understand it. We had a golden opportunity this year, and I'm sure there will be plenty of years to come with the guys that you have here. Um, but just enjoy it. Love them. Uh, don't throw anything on the court. You know, that's one thing. Uh, don't cheer for when guys get injured. You know, that's just known around the league, not just here. But, you know, um, I know there's a, there's a time where fans were kind of getting out of control, just, you know, getting back into the arenas. But. Um, you know, I love our fans, you know, I just, you know, try to throw little things out there to let them know we love you, but at the same time, you know, protect us, encourage us and stay by us. Like we stand by you, regardless of wins or losses, we are humans and people too. You know, we're not, you know, zoo animals where you can just, you know, throw things or, you know, be on our side when it's convenient. So, um, but yeah, I love the city of Philly love the fans. They've been amazing. Uh, quite an experience for me for the one year that I've been here. I don't know how much longer I will be, but we'll find out soon within a month or so. What is your gut feeling? Do you think you'll be back with the Sixers? I have a feeling that uh, they want me back. We haven't had a chance to talk yet. I have not spoken to Doc. There's rumors that I had conversations and 
dinners already with people and that I said that I'm not coming back or that I am coming back. No conversation has been had yet. No dinners have been had yet. No exit meeting has been had yet. But even though, you know, I, I love Doc. We've had a great relationship this year, built a relationship over this year. Uh, that was amazing. Um, but we're not allowed to talk free agency until August 2nd. Um, that's when we're allowed to discuss things. But I have a feeling that they're going to want me, they want me back and that we can, you know, give it another shot at it. But we'll see. Obviously, I talked about your veteran presence and your leadership for these young guys. I mean, Joel Embiid, 27, Ben Simmons, 24. Have you seen in your career, and I watched the last dance, I saw Michael Jordan get beaten up by the Pistons, and he said, all right, I got to get in the weight room more. Is there kind of like levels that you start to realize like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do more of this. And it's almost like you get hungrier and hungrier. For sure. Um, but also it goes along with what the organization, the coaching staff, and your peers allow. Um, you know, some people will allow you to, to be coach or coachable, allow, allow you to give instructions. Some coaches allow you some freedom to be able to make some adjustments and talk to the team and be that mediator or that message relayer from, you know, coach to player. Um, and I got a lot of that this year, which was amazing. I've never been in that type of position, that type of situation to where they came to me and I went to teammates or they asked me what I thought of and, and got a chance to, you know, relay messages and actually coach and manage egos and, you know, relate, I guess, relate to them um, in a different way. And um, I like that role. And guys look to me for advice and, and you know, what I thought, which way things should go. Um, not just the young guys, but even some of the superstars, you know, conversations asking how we should do this, how we do that. Um, so it was new for me. Um, I've been in similar situations, but not to this extent or, or to this, you know, level of it. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And they allowed me to be, you know, not just the player, but a, a great leader. And hopefully, he said, moving forward, I'm able to do that wherever I land. And Doc Rivers, after the season, said maybe the culture of the Sixers needs to get even a little bit better. Uh, did you notice anything? What did you sense about that? For sure. Um, from day one he got here, I knew that, it was a long ways ago. He had a lot cut out for him. You know, Doc, Daryl Morey. I'm not saying that it was a, a terrible organization or a terrible team. It was just uh, you could tell the habits needed to change. You could tell a lot of things needed to be changed. It wasn't going to happen overnight. It was something that was going to take some months, maybe a year or two. And, um, you know, I, we put it together faster than I expected and actually were successful, more successful than I expected, um, which is why we you know, were kind of so disappointed because we know we had a golden opportunity and the potential of this team, how good we could be. Um, but even as I said, from day one, I thought, you know, we were going to have some time. It's going to take some time for this team to get get it right, get it in order, get an act and get that championship culture, that atmosphere and those habits of doing things the right way and being ultimate professionals here. Um, you know, guys actually adapted and adjusted pretty well uh, for the most part. But, you know, there's still some some ways to go. And I'm, I'm, said, I'm sure Doc's going to get them right. I'm sure Daryl Moore is going to make the right decisions and moves that he needs to. Um, Elton you know, was a big key to that. So. Uh, I said, I'm interested to see how it goes, but then, you know, it's a draft night and free agency. You know, as a champion, like you are, uh, and you've won the last two, do you see certain traits in the best players on the team or the leaders and everybody on the team? Like, what did you help try to instill in the Sixers to have a championship winning mentality? So just doing things the right way. I thought we had all the pieces and I did see that we had enough. We had, you know, three all-stars, uh, two amazing scores and a lot of great pieces around them. Guys, I mean, Seth could score well and other guys that can play defense, Matisse, you know, two all defensive teams with Ben and Matisse, uh, you know, other guys playing, you know, defense to the level myself uh, and young guys like Tyrese and Shake are coming off the bench for a con, be able to, be able to explode when we need them to. Um, so just the depth of what we had and the pieces, 
it was more than enough. Um, so yeah, that was the similarities that I saw and said in the all-stars, the guys that can get you a bucket at any point, any time, especially in crunch time. Um, I believe in those guys, even though it didn't happen at times, but it doesn't necessarily come from those guys always throughout the year. We've had different guys step up in the fourth quarter for us. And that's where I think we were missing, you know, shake, uh, was one of those guys. Myself, I might hit a shout out to Seth was a guy. Matisse might hit one. Uh, Furkan might hit one. So, yeah, it, it was uh, interesting to see when I fell out, when I went out, you know, how they bounced back, how they played. And they still played well, even though they lost some games of those young guys stepping up, but also seeing the depth that we had. I mean, obviously, you can't take none away from Atlanta. Great team. They had great depth and they played well and they balled out. And, and Coach McMillan, he was amazing with making adjustments he needed to make. Um, so yeah, I, hats off to them, but we, we, I saw a lot within this group. Um, even when I was out on the sideline, you see so much more on the sideline than you do when you're playing. When you look at Joel Embiid two years ago, when they lost on the Kawhi Leonard shot, you saw his tears. You obviously mm -hmm. saw from that how much he cares. Um, mm -hmm. I guess there might be a little perception that Ben Simmons sometimes comes off as aloof sometimes, um, with the media or in public. What is it like with Ben and Joel? two young guys trying to become championship players. What kind of attitudes do they have towards, towards this? I think they, they, they all love the game and they want to win. They for sure care. Obviously Joe shows it a little more with his emotions. Um, they're just not great at expressing it uh, through the media or, you know, certain routes, but all these guys here want to compete, want to win and, and want to be great. Um, you can see in their, you know, day-to-day -day activities, how they you know, operate. They just don't know how to yet. They're just trying to be guided. And that's where Doc comes in. That's where me, Dwight, George Hill is where we come in and teach them and show them how, you know, to win and how to, you know, it doesn't start with, you know, just in the, in the game on the court when the tip off goes, it starts way before that. It starts in preseason. It starts with stretching. It starts with, you know, how you operate on the road, how you, you know, not late to the plane, you know, little things like that. Those habits of showing up every day and being there for your team and having your teammate and having his back, those habits are what you need to build from day one to be a championship team. Do you think that was one of the, problems with the processes or weren't enough veterans kind of showing Joel and Ben just how it's done and how to win? For sure. Not just from this year, but from previous years. Um, I think that's part of why they struggled uh, years before this. Um, they didn't have, let me say the right veterans, they didn't have uh, the experience. They didn't have enough guys that have been there, that have done it, that have won um, and to push them um, to understand or to learn and to make them better and, and you know, I guess, or, or people that they respected enough to try to learn from them. So it could be a multitude of things, a number of variables that didn't come along for them to learn uh, maybe up until this year, who knows? Um, I think they learned little bit by little here and there, but I think they probably learned the most this year with having Doc here, uh, myself, Dwight, George, and those type of guys around them to help them understand what it takes to be that type of team. We saw Ben Simmons say that he's not gonna play in the Olympics for Team Australia. So it's going to work on his skill, skill development. Is that a great sign? Do you think he's going to attack this offseason because he knows he has to work on those things? For sure. I think it's all good signs. Whether he played or didn't play, I know he's going to take it serious. And I think it's more so his body. Even, even though you know people think he's young and, and healthy, um, everybody's banged up at that point. Even though he was able to play, they all Joel had injuries, Tobias. Everybody had some type of issue, whether it's knee, shoulder, Guys are playing not at 100% and Ben as well. So I think he's taking time to get his body right and also his mental right, um, which is more important than anything. He's obviously physically a freak of nature, so he's able to adapt and adjust and do things that nobody's able to do in this world. Um, and it's more so, so for him, it's more mental than anything. And him to get his mind right, also get healthy, his body right, and be able to you know, work on the details instead of just going out and just playing um, is more important than anything.
you know, you just talked about preparing yourself and, and having your body right for this. I mean, you went through two straight finals and then you had a, you know, a condensed off season jumping right into it. Do you, do you think that could have led to your injury in any way? It could have for sure. You know, just that much of so a quick turnaround, that much pounding on the body of so many games. I didn't miss many games. I played 69 and every playoff game, high intense minutes, um, just wearing and tearing the body is, is, is bound to happen at some point. Not going to you hope it never happens. I am not getting any younger either, but um, that's why, you know, I try to take care of the body as best I can. I learned from my, my vets and older guys of how well they did it to try to keep my body and keep my mind in this game as long as it can. And I still felt great this year. Um, even though I'm getting older, I still felt young. I still feel I have a lot of good years left in this league. Um, and right now I'm still rehabbing, you know, making sure my body's right for next year. I, I'm, it's a gift and a curse, but I have a longer off season now to be able to, to focus on that. I would love to be playing, but you know, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, now, hopefully this happened for me to have a better bounce back and hopefully they'll make a good run at it next year. And it's interesting right now in the NBA, you hear all kinds of whispers and you see coaches being let go, uh, mm -hmm. even quarterbacks in the NFL. What do you think is going on in the NBA now? Are players kind of letting it out more or speaking up more or letting their feelings be known about their situation and maybe they want a better situation sometimes? Yeah, I think that happened a long time ago. Um, that started when, when superstars started figuring out want to be trades certain places or, or just creating and teaming up with other other guys that they like to play with. Um, but yeah, it's a different era. It's a different generation. Now you don't see many superstars staying with one team and, and being with that team as long as they can. And now, you know, guys will be there as long as they can until they can find a group or a championship team around them. If the, the organization doesn't put the right pieces around them, then they're going to go find them themselves. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's more expressive within the media, within social media. And I guess more leverage with players. They have the power. They, they kind of understood and started to figure out that we have more power than uh, we thought and be able to make moves that we need to make or want to make to be able to um, get what we want. And that's not just money-wise. That's just championship and winning-wise. And, you know, I guess the owners and GMs have to respect it and figure out ways to do it because um, you don't want an unhappy player, unhappy superstar in your organization because that can change the whole dynamic uh, of where or the direction that you guys are going to be going to. It really was a lot of fun. I got to tell you, when I when I was seeing you talking to all of your teammates on the sidelines during the timeouts, Thank and you. I even think a couple times you went out there and kind of spoke to the referees as well on the behalf of some of your I teammates. Tried. Uh, yeah, you I tried, yeah. I did a little bit here and there, man. I tried to get them on our side, give us a call or two. You ever think about uh, post-career years down the road uh, coaching at all? Uh, you know, people brought it to my attention. Coaching is not something that I've, I've – it's come – by my desk, it, it's something people try to put into my mind, but it's not a thought for me. Um, it's very stressful. It's hard. It's not easy. So I, I tip my hat off to those guys out there who letting their hair go bald or their hair go gray um, and stressing over trying to manage egos. And um, it's just too unstable for me. And, and it's, a, it's a lot of stress. When I'm done playing, I want something a little less stressful. I know I'd be good at it, but I just don't think it's something that I can handle coaching guys like myself. Um, you know, it'll probably be a pain in the ass to some of my coaches think that they know it all and try to out-coach you, over-coach you, and, you know, tell your teammates what to do, what, you know, your, your players what to do instead of them listening to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's an option, but it's not something that's high up on the list of my priority. There's other things I would like to do. I like to do what you do, man. You know, continue the podcast, uh, host, you know, NBC Sports Philadelphia, or be on a network, maybe talking sideline, analyzing the game. Um, those are things that I would love to stay around the game and do that are a lot less stressful than coaching.
<laughs> well, you know, we had the pleasure of having inside the green room on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and you got a lot of good guests. Uh, who was your favorite and best guest that you had on? Oh, man, it's, that's hard to say, man. I don't want to pick any favorites, but uh, we had some great guests this year. We had a lot of fun. Um, you know, to learn about Doc um, was interesting for me. Uh, I've you know, seen him from afar, studied him from afar, and always admired him. But to play for him and also see him talk and have an interview and learn some things, ask him some questions was great. Also, you know, with Joel and Tobias, um, they were great on, on. And Matisse, you know, Matisse is one of my first guys that I, I did when I got here. Interesting guy, uh, learned a lot about him. But uh, for him to you know, open up and actually give you opportunity to learn about him and the fans learn about him and the fact that he was doing a YouTube channel, I think, when he was in the bubble and how well he produced, he did it all on his own and how well it was produced and directed by himself was amazing to me. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of great guests, man. I enjoyed every single one of them. To learn about all my teammates was amazing. Hopefully I get a chance to learn about them more in the future and get some of them on, whether I'm here or not. But um, yeah, it was a hell, of a hell of a year, hell of a run, a lot of fun. And a great podcast year for me as well. So thank you guys for having us and hosting us. You know, NBC Sports Philadelphia, hopefully we'll be back. Um, but if not, I said, you know, family, had a hell of a year, a lot of fun. And I'll be back on to join you guys whenever you guys need me or want me. Well, you were good at it, and it is less stressful. Yes. It's very easy to just chop, talk, shop with you know, some of the homies, some of the teammates, some of the guys talk about basketball, give their opinion, and uh, have them have the freedom to speak freely because you know that you're going to be on their side and not just take anything. You edit things that they don't want in there, you know, and, and you know, be respectful of their privacy and things that they want to be said and how they want to be viewed. Um, and we always want them to be viewed in a positive light. So um, always had fun chopping up with them uh, and, you know, let them be free and talk a little bit uh, about their, their off the court lifestyle and their families and other hobbies that they like to do. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Well, you did a good job with it, and obviously you got a career in that whenever you're done. Um, And I appreciate you doing this because I think the same reason you do the segments you do and the interviews you do, you want to gain more understanding, more insight for the fans and kind of understand what players, coaches, and everybody go through. Um, Because, yeah, sometimes the fans, they do get a little out of control because they want to win right now and they don't maybe see the big picture sometimes. But I get it because, as I said, 38 years without a championship. Yeah, uh, as I said, it's human nature. We get it. And um, it, it, it is human nature for us, to, for them to look at us uh, and as humans sometimes. But we are. We have feelings, emotions, just like you, um, to threaten us, threaten our family or talk crazy about us. Um, it does get to some people. Obviously, we ignore it. But, um, you know, we're just not we're not just items like, you, like some people or just, you know, people you look at from afar or science experiments. Um, you know, we are human and we do make mistakes. We aren't perfect. And believe it or not, we are trying and we want to win and we do care. And that's every single one of us. Uh, we want to perform at the best level we can. And not just for the fans, not for you guys, but for ourselves and our family to make them proud. So, man, sometimes I get lost in trance. Sometimes I get lost. But um, we understand why the frustration, trust me, we get just as frustrated because we're putting the time, uh, the sweat, blood, and tears into it more than anybody else. So we're the biggest critics of ourselves and the more frustrated when we lose than anybody. Well, I'll tell you what, this was uh, this was great doing this and great insight. And we hope you're back with the Sixers. 
And uh, we hope Inside the Green Room is back here in Philadelphia. Thank you. I hope so, too, man. Thank you. All right. Get healthy and continue to rehab. We wish you the best in the offseason. And hopefully we'll find out soon uh, what's going on with you. We wish you the best. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. 